Welcome to Evolve. My name is Brandon Silver and I believe that evolution of the world requires evolution of the individual. I believe entrepreneurs are consistently changing that world and we always will be. So with this show I will bring you the people and ideas with tools necessary to hack your growth in your business and your life. Together let's ask the world's biggest question, build businesses to solve them, and live happy and fulfilling lives in the process. It's time to evolve. Hey everyone, welcome to Evolve. Today's guest is an entrepreneur, sexual health advocate, thought leader, speaker, educator, and co-founder of an award-winning tech company, uh, redefining the world of sexual perceptions, health, and confidence through a few simple clicks on your phone. For 13 years, he worked like a well-trained machine in corporate America as a consultant in designing leadership development programs with the FBI, chasing a dream of becoming an FBI agent. However, in his private life, he had, a, had been numbing himself and floating through his life with sex and alcohol. At age 30, those two worlds would collide as he would be told he could never be in the FBI and a week later being diagnosed with testicular cancer and chlamydia on the same day. Talk about a rough week. From the first time in his life, he had to face the fear, embarrassment, and hard conversations about sex, identity, and purpose he never wanted to have. After writing about his experience and in subsequently talking with hundreds of people about their own sexual situations, he courageously went on a mission to raise the sexual confidence of men and women to live healthier, happier, and make better sexual health decisions. Having faced his own calling to live a bigger version of himself, he's begun giving a voice to hundreds of men through his podcast, men's retreats, and live events entitled The Discerning Dick which have an uncommon and disarming approach in talking to men and women about most things left undiscussed when it comes to male sexuality, masculinity, and emotional fluency. NPR, The New York Times, Forbes, TechCrunch, and Refinery29 are only but a few of the many publications featuring him. Being labeled as powerful, inspiring, and real, his talks expose a rawness that elevate others' lives through humorous wisdom and brave retellings of personal experiences. I'm honored to welcome the co-founder and CEO of Beam Health, co-host of the Man Amongst Men podcast, and a man who probably wins karaoke competitions by singing Boys to Men's I Make Love to You, Brian Stacy. Oh man, Brandon, what a great intro. I got I got chills for multiple reasons. One reliving <laughs> that week and thinking about doing karaoke to any other song besides Boys to Men, I'll make love to you. Thanks yeah, so yeah. Absolutely. Well, let's uh, let's talk about your journey and that that moment. Um, you and Dom have this concept of life sometimes hits you like a Mack truck, and so tell me about that Mack truck moment of being told no of the FBI, and then a week later being diagnosed with both of those. Yeah, so I, I'm going to go back just a little bit further to provide some context. But mm-hmm. I'm, I'm from Chicago. I grew up in a Christian family. I've got two younger sisters. My mom and dad are together. And, and so, and, and sex wasn't really talked about in our household. So that was, that's the context of the, of the, the family situation. I went to school in the Midwest. I went to the university of Iowa and, and didn't travel. didn't do much outside of the Midwest. Mm-hmm. My grandmother on my father's side, she passed away on September 9th, uh, 2001. And so we were down in Florida for her funeral when the uh, attacks in the world trade center happened. Mm. We couldn't get back from the Orlando area to Chicago by plane. We were at the airport when the whole thing, when the whole thing happened. And so what I remember vividly is my dad uh, taking charge, which was great. 
and he got us a minivan. We all drove, my entire family drove from Orlando up to Chicago. And this is before iPhone times. This is before, before cell phones. Right. And all we could do is listen to the radio and try to understand what was going on, what was happening. And my, the question that kept on coming to me was, why would someone do this? Mm-hmm. This is crazy. And so for, it, it was about a, a 24 hour trip back to, or maybe even longer than that, however long it takes to get from Orlando to <laughs> Chicago. Um, I just, I, on repeat, I kept on hearing Bin Laden and this and that. And this is when I was a junior in college. Okay. And so at this point in my life in college, I was active. I played baseball. I did student government related activities. I didn't have direction though. I didn't know what I wanted with my life. And when this 9-11 thing happened and I, I started to search for, wow, this, this is terrible. There's things in this world I clearly don't understand. What do I want to do with my life? Right. And so I started doing some research and what I landed on was the FBI. I said, oh, the FBI is a cool job. I get to stay in shape. I get to carry a gun. <laughs> I get to do investigations. I get to stop bad guys. I've seen them on TV. So I definitely know what the FBI is like. <laughs> That's what I'm going to do. And so as a junior in college, I called the FBI, literally called, like, like looked up. I probably dialed 411 and said, what's the <laughs> FBI's number? Maybe I looked it up online. I called them. I said, hey, I'm a junior in college. I want to become an FBI agent. What do I do? Mm-hmm. And they, they all but laughed at me on the phone. But they were nice enough to give me the education that I needed, which was I needed at least three years of work experience prior to applying to the FBI. So, okay, that makes sense. I'm going to go find the job that gets me there. And that started my, what ended up being about, an, uh, about a nine-year journey into wanting to become an FBI agent, getting the right credentials. I took a job with Accenture. I started 10 days after my undergraduate degree. And, and, um, and everything I did at Accenture was to get closer to becoming an FBI agent. Mm-hmm. And so I'm providing all this context because this was a a plan, a dream in the making for years and years and years at a very young age. I mean, I was 23 when I started that that process into into, uh, corporate America. And so I applied about seven years into the job. I wanted to get more experience. I was enjoying. And at Accenture, I was actually working at the FBI. I had made my way as as an FBI, as my client. And I helped them create their leadership development program. And this was all before I applied. So I was like, oh, I got an in. Right, I know right. a bunch of FBI agents. I am now working at headquarters in Washington, D.C. I understand their leadership. I know the entire career path. So not only is this something that I wanted, but I knew like the next, the rest of my life until I was going to retire, I knew exactly what my path was going to be. And so I applied to the FBI. And that process can take over a year, often takes over a year to get through all the many different, seven different stages of interviews and tests and everything else. The last test is the polygraph. And I failed the polygraph. And that was it. So, it was, so that happened. And then quickly thereafter, I was diagnosed with testicular cancer. And so, man, that was, that was the... <sighs> I would say it was a kick to the nuts, but that wouldn't, <laughs> that wouldn't quite do it justice. Right. But here, here I was at the age of about 30 now, where I was, I was facing, I, I faced death for the first time with testicular cancer. I had just done my first STD testing, mm. and I was diagnosed with chlamydia at the exact same time as cancer. 
my dream, the, the, how I knew I was going to live the rest of my life was gone. And I didn't know what to do. I was, I was absolutely lost. And so that, that brings us to that moment that you're talking about, but that was my Mack truck moment. And I often call it my jellyfish moment. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that made me look at <laughs> what, what, what am I doing here? What do I want? Yeah, absolutely. And um, you talked about how you had been using alcohol and sex, like in your um, personal life, sort of as a way to numb yourself. So do you feel that you were doing that because you're sort of like following this checklist, performing this plan um, that you thought was success and what winning looked like, but it wasn't actually true to you? Yeah. And it's so easy to do this upon reflection, Mm -hmm. to look back and see this in the moment. If you asked me, if you asked 29 year old Brian, what the best time in life is, I would have said bachelor parties, happy hours, <laughs> parties on the weekends with my friends. Right. Because that is where I could go out. I could meet women. I could have sex. But going back to where I grew up, I grew up Christian household. Sex isn't allowed. Mm-hmm. Not something not only not, is it not allowed, but my, my religion is telling me it's not allowed. My parents kind of told me, but didn't say a whole lot about it. And something just told me maybe this thing isn't okay. And so what I would have to do to get out of my head, to get out of the anxiety and the anxiousness that sex brought to me. Now, I liked sex. I was watching porn. I I enjoyed the female body. (laughs) But in order to get to that place of the woman, I would get drunk. And sometimes Mm. really drunk. And so the numbing it out wasn't the after effect. It was the before effect. It was what I needed to do to get out of my head to go have fun. Mm. Yeah, From that t- standpoint, numbing us. Yeah. Tell me about when you started making the Beam app, which um, was originally supposed to be like a law enforcement app. Um, you said that you were following, you know, threads of curiosity, really getting into your body um, and having, you know, those hard sexual conversations. You had to start like leaning into that uncomfortable place. So tell me about how you started doing that from, you know, all the years that you had been numbing yourself away from that uncomfortable place. Yeah. So before I jump straight into that app, because you mentioned the law enforcement app, which I, I almost had forgotten about <laughs> until you brought it up. And, and there is a trajectory. And I like to tell this story in, in this chronological order so people can understand where I was at and what I went through. So we already talked about the, the, that Mack truck experience. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned jellyfish. And the reason jellyfish is, is such a, a seminal animal for me, <laughs> after I got back from chemotherapy, I, I, was, I did that in Chicago with my parents. They took care of me while I was going through that process. When I came back to D.C., I was still working at the FBI as a consultant, but I knew I was never going to be an agent. Right. That came over. And so I didn't really know what to do. And so what I did for a period of time was like, well, I'll just keep working. I've got a good job. Maybe I should be a consultant the rest of my life. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm at the FBI. And so my, my boss asked me if I wanted to go to happy hour one day. And he said it was a really important happy hour because his boss was going to be here and his boss's boss was going to be there. And this mm-hmm. is like the number five guy at Accenture. It's a huge 350,000 person organization. Right. I was like, wow, what a great opportunity. Maybe this is, the, this, is, this is what I should be doing. I should get to know the leadership at this organization that I've been at for now 11 years. <laughs> right. A period of time. I said, maybe this is, I'm not going to be an agent. So maybe this is it. Great. Let's go to happy hour. 
So we go to happy hour, we all get a beer. We're sitting around a, one of those, those, the pub high tables little round tables. And so one of the first things that the top guy said at Accenture, he brought up a, a funny, and I don't know if it was an icebreaker or if he was just a quirky guy, but he asked us about a, our spirit animals. <laughs> he said, I'm just curious, what do you guys have a spirit animal? And of course he went first and then it went down in rank order. And he said, I would be a bald eagle. I was like, wow, like America, we're in Washington, DC. Like, and he said, the Eagle can fly. It's got a great perspective. It's got really sharp vision. He's like, that's why I'd be a, I would be a bald Eagle. I was like, man, that's a really good one. Mm -hmm. The next guy in line went and he said, oh, I'd be, I'd be a, a lion because I've got my pride and they're working with me, my team, you know, King of the jungle. Right. Right. So now I'm thinking like, I'm, I'm clearly going to be going last. I'm like, Oh man, like the lion was a really good one. So we basically have <laughs> the air taken care of. The jungle is now taken care of. And then my boss goes and my boss goes, I'd be a shark because they never sleep. They're all, they're always moving. Uh, they never get cancer. They're super healthy. They're the apex predator of the ocean. Like when you think of ocean, people think of shark, right? Like, wow, that's really good too. Cause now the ocean's taken. Like, what do I go with? And just there was a, it was a moment in my life where I was just I was down. I didn't know what I wanted. And I just in, in a moment of of fear, I just blurted out what was in my head. I said, I would be a jellyfish. <laughs> And my boss looked at me, he tried to help me out. He's like, Oh, you mean like the man of war jellyfish, that really big one that kills you. Right, yeah. I was like, no, man, you know, those little like moon jellyfish, they have a little iridescent circle. They're very cute, but they're, they can't hurt you. <laughs> like he puts his hand on his head. It's just like, what is Brian doing? <laughs> and I remember at that moment, I realized what I said. I looked at the faces of the other guys. They looked at me. I, I was completely unworthy to be at this table with them. <laughs> I had at this point about half my beer left, uh, uh, my bottle of beer left. I put it down and said, guys, I've got a lot of work to do. I need to go home. <laughs> so I'm walking home and the, the walk was about 10, 15 minutes long. And I am kicking myself. I'm like, how did I just like, this could have been my, my new future, could have been a great first step. And I said, effing jellyfish. That's what I came up with. That was the best animal. And I'm an animal lover. I know all the animals, A to Z. I came up with freaking jelly, I mean, light jellyfish. Yeah. Like why, like why in the world would have I said jellyfish? Why was it in my head? And I realized at that point that I felt like it was an honest answer hmm. that I felt like a jellyfish. I felt like someone that was just floating through life, taking what, what was there. Uh, people would ask me to go to a party or do something after work. And I would just go not really thinking about like, what I really wanted. And so at that point I said, something's got to change. And I don't know about you, Brandon, but have you actually, let me ask the question. Have you ever dated someone for too long? Yeah, for sure. You ever had that situation, right? Like when you're in a relationship and you're just there for too long, you're like, man, we should have broke up a year ago. Right. That was me and the FBI. I was at the FBI still continuing for over a year after I got rejected as a consultant. I'm still there. And I was, it was just a bad environment for me. I didn't know what mm. I want. I knew it wasn't that anymore. I had to get out. And so at that point, I started working on a little project with the FBI on social media. And I said, huh, I said, the app, instead of the see something, say something campaign and mm -hmm. people calling 1-800 numbers if they see a bag laying around, like this could be really easily done through an app. But I have no clue on how to create an app. 
So Accenture at that point just started something called Accenture Digital. It's, it's a home base. It's, it's a headquarters was going to be in New York. I called a friend that was part of it and I left DC. Okay. I decided to come to New York, learn how to build digital products and have, create digital experiences with the idea of maybe I come back to the FBI with this really cool app that, that they could implement. So that was, that was where the law enforcement came from and the right turn. And I, I tell that story because I still, I was still jellyfishing, mm-hmm. but I was at least moving in a new direction. I was moving cities. I was trying something new that, that I felt a little thread, just a little thread was there that I wanted to go do. And so it was at this moment, at the same time, I had been talking to guys for about two years now about, about their sexual health and they were all inbound. They all came to me. I wasn't looking for them. And when I came after about a year of being in New York, understanding how to go about building digital experience, I got together with my urologist who was a friend of mine. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I've been thinking about this and my experience was one that I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have gone to see the doctor. It took me three months from the time that I started feeling something in my testicle to the time I actually went to the doctor's office. And for, for that three months, things could have gone really, really poorly. But I right. finally got into see the doctor and that experience was not a great one for me. So I decided to create a new digital experience where people could, could get their questions about their sexual health answered, mm-hmm. where they could get tested in, in an easier environment and then have results on their phone so they could start having the conversation that I always didn't have with my partners uh, in, right. in an easier manner. So that, that's the lead up to, to getting to the app called BEAM, which, is, which, is, which stood for as a loose acronym for break in case of emergency. Oh, okay. Well, a lot of your work ta- uh, revolves around, you know, helping others to develop sexual confidence and have these hard conversations. And I feel like BEAMS tackles that from an external perspective of your health and the resources and, you know, having those conversations with others where your work with, you know, man amongst men um, tackles that from an internal perspective and having, you know, the internal dialogues with yourself. So why is it so important to you? And how do you feel having these internal and external conversations really shape our lives? Yeah, Brent, I'm I'm really glad that you brought up that distinction between the, the external and the internal. And my entrepreneurial journey through creating Beam and, and figuring out all the, the mechanisms of, a, of running a business and technology and everything mm-hmm. else, it also, the, my path also was an internal one unknowingly. I wasn't right. trying to take some sort of in, inner journey. I wasn't trying to be a better person. I was trying to run a business. Right. I was trying to change the world for, for better in, in the sexual health space. After doing that for a little over a year, I realized that yes, we created something that's market, market viable. Yes, we created something that's exciting. We also created a bit of a better mousetrap. Mm. Yes, the experience is better and that will help some people whose problems were I couldn't get to the doctor. It was too expensive. I didn't know how to have the conversation without having the proof. So it did right. solve those problems. What it didn't solve was all the internal angst. Mm that really is the blocker to taking care of ourselves, to having conversations about topics that are sometimes uncomfortable. And that is so much deeper than sexual health. Right. And so what my internal journey took me to, to this place where now I'm working with Dominic to help look at the root. What is the root of all this? Where does this uncomfortability come from? Sex and sexual health just being one piece of, 
of many. And so what excites me is these topics and these conversations that are so universal. Every single woman, every single guy has these, this, this anxiousness, this, this uh, sometimes feeling at some place in their life where they're not addressing it. Mm. Or even worse, think that we have it all figured out. <laughs> right. And so that is, that's the inner journey that you're talking about. So yes, we have these external tools and I will continue to build out tools like Beam, but the inner work, the inner journey that, that we can all take is where the real problems are solved. Absolutely. How do, we, uh, how do we start digging into that for ourselves and then start having these conversations? Yeah. Uh, when you say these conversations, are you referring to the, the inner work? Yeah, the inner work and then being able to express that later to other people to be able to share mm-hmm. that inner work that we've had. Yeah, I, Brent, I am so much in that journey right now. Mm-hmm. You know, Dominic's been doing, let's just call it self-development, right? That, that's kind of another term. Right. For, you know, and it's maybe, uh, it's got a different connotation to it than inner work. Let's call it self-development. Dominic has been on that path for an intentional path for over 10 years. Mm-hmm. I have been on that path for about three. And it started with Dominic's retreat about three mm-hmm. years ago. And so I am, I am very much on that path. And the only advice I can really give anyone after doing this for a, a, a whole three years <laughs> is really just allow like my life. Okay. My life changed when the things that I, that I thought that I knew for sure, I started to question. And with that curiosity, it led me down these exciting paths of trying new things and understanding it, inspecting my beliefs. And so what I would say is if there is an interest somewhere that someone has, then follow it. Mm. When I went from DC to New York to, to follow the digital path, I had no clue what I'm doing. And as a matter of fact, I often still feel that way, but I do have interests. I do have things that I want to understand, things that I want to learn, things that I think will make me a better, uh, a better boyfriend, uh, a better friend, a better son, a better, better, like better in all those relationships. Right. So all I can, all I can describe Brandon, are, are the two things that, that hit me. One was I got really curious on the things that I thought I knew. And two, I got, I, I really started to identify what's important to me. And cause I really didn't know that when I was in jellyfish mode, I didn't know it was important to me anymore. Right. And so the way my, my key into that was doing a reflection and looking at the last 10 years of my life. And if there's one thing I focus on is like, well, what was I appreciating most mm. over that 10 year period? And what kept coming to me, and this was shocking because I was a business person. I was kick ass, take no names, move forward, <laughs> or expendable. Anybody can take these roles, right? That was, that was me. And when I look back on my last 10 years, what I appreciated most happened to be interactions with people mm. and relationships with people. And I said, wow. I said, whether it's my love life or friends or family, why am I not prioritizing these things that I apparently appreciate? the most. And so that started to shift my entire focus on, on what's really important for me. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Um, let's dive a little bit into sex and let's talk about, you guys have this quote, it's all roads of masculinity run through our dick, which I found hilarious. Um, how do we start cultivating a healthy relationship around sex, masturbation, porn, etc. as men? Oh, I love this because here's the thing. 
We, I, I remember in, in high school, college, and even beyond college, which I'm a bit embarrassed to say, having conversations with guy friends where we would mm-hmm. strategize. We would get, <laughs> we're going out that night and we're pre-gaming at somebody's apartment. And we're like, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go in there. We're going to throw these lines out to these women. We're going we're to do all these things, right? right. We're going to impress them. And then if we, and then if we found one, like, it'd be like, well, how are you going to get them to your place? And then if they want to come to your place a couple more times than just once, then all of a sudden, are you dating now? And cool, like, <laughs> still want to be dating? Do you not want to be dating? And there was all this strategy. Right. right? Typical guy this, thing to do. Typical guy <laughs> thing to do. What is my first lie? Okay, all, all, the, all the Tinder conversations. And here's the thing. It's so, what, what I can say definitively, after doing some of this work in the sexual health space and getting a lot of perspective from women. Because all I had mm-hmm. back then was my perspective and my friends' perspectives. Because these, again, were not topics that we talked about with women. Right. I've had that opportunity over the last three years to do that with women and understand their perspective. And I have to say, it is so much easier <laughs> than we make it. Like women want, want to be with us. They want mm-hmm. to be in a relationship with us. Whatever type of relationship that is. That could be a one-day relationship. It could be a one-hour relationship. It could be a one-year. It could be a one-lifetime relationship. Whatever, mm-hmm. the time doesn't really matter. But we make it really hard on ourselves because we, we, we try to strategize. We try to gamify. We try to get something out of it. Right. And when we can just relax that and understand that just being there is enough and that telling people, women in this case, what we actually want, why we're actually there is so revolutionary. It blows people's minds. Yeah. I think that's the, the hardest part for men. We're always performing and we have this um, inner subconscious dialogue with ourselves that we're not enough. And we see that come up, you know, in the performing that we're doing or trying to woo them or when it comes up in sex, thinking that, you know, our dick's not big enough or something like that. There's just all this not enough, not enough, not enough. So how do we start yeah. working through some of that shame? Yeah, the, the performance is, the, is a great word, Brandon. And that, that is like, how often are we in performance mode? Right. Right. In, in whatever walk of life, whether it's sex or business or what, what have you, how often are we in performance? And what does that mean if we're not, quote, performing well into whose level? Mm-hmm. Uh, a quick story. When I was, I was single, when I moved here to New York, I was on probably eight different dating apps and I said, wow, what a great way to start marketing beam. And so actually, this is before, no, this is before we created beam, but I was doing market research. Uh-huh. And so I put my, my picture up there on the, uh, on Tinder and I put, this is before they outlawed text on photos. <laughs> um, and I put tested for STDs on the date but on whatever date it was that I got tested. Yeah. That was my first photo. (laughs) And I got all kinds of responses from women. And most of them, this is the breakdown. About 50% of them that actually contacted me. Now, these are self-selecting women that are deciding to contact me, right? We matched. And 50% of the women said, that is so awesome. Like, thank you very much. That, I love that. That's cool. Like, no, like nobody else is that upfront and honest with it. And that's great. There was about 10% of the women that didn't like it. They were like, what are you doing? Why are you expecting me to have sex with you on the first date? Why are you putting this out there? Why is this information relevant? Right? They're upset about it. And then there was everything in the middle. There was people that didn't say anything about it, that thought it was just fine, thought it was funny. A lot of them thought it was funny and it wasn't, and it was a joke. Uh, But that is one really simple example with a huge data set of what happens when we're actually 
forthcoming with mm-hmm. where we're at and, and who we are. And that made every, and then the, whenever I went on first dates, that made first dates fascinating because we talked about that. And then that's how we talked about what I did. And then we talked about how I got there mm-hmm. and where they're yeah. at and their real perspective on the dance that they have to do with guys. Uh, have you ever heard of condom negotiations? Uh-uh. I had never heard of this either. I learned about condom negotiations. This is when a guy wants to have sex, but doesn't okay. really want to wear a condom. Okay. And a woman wants to wear a condom, but doesn't want to hurt his ego. Mm. So it's this dance of like, yeah, but we should, because have you been tested? I, I, maybe I haven't been tested. And like, I'm not, you know, I'm not on the birth control. So you should definitely wear a condom. And there's all right. these negotiations that happen. And so when a woman knows that they don't have to have any of those negotiations, all of a sudden their guards on, they're more open. I shouldn't say guards down, but they're more open to having right. real conversations. Yeah. So all this, it's so much easier. Yeah, absolutely. And you get, uh, you get through that a little quicker. I mean, like if you're trying to have that negotiation right before you're about to do the act, I mean, that's going to slow things down and also kill the mood because oh, wait, wait, have you been tested? And you start digging into that where if you're a little upfront about it, we can move a little faster with those things. Timing, timing is a really big element. And when we did the research for beam, that's something we talked about often mm-hmm. is when does this come up? Because if it, if it's, if you're planning to bring it up, right before you're already in heat, you're already ready to do this. Right. Forget about it. It's not going to happen. It, it, tip, it typically will not happen. If we bring it up beforehand, it can actually be used as foreplay. Mm. It can be used as, what are you into? Yeah. When's the last time you've been tested? How many partners have you been with? What did you enjoy? What did you not enjoy? And, 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 and being able to just play in that space shows that we have mastery, we have control over this, that we can talk about it without having to absolutely jump their bones. Mm. And they're safe because they're with a man that can sit there and have a real man conversation, a real adult conversation, conversation I should say. Absolutely. Um, one of the other things that came up when I was researching you is that you actually took an a, uh, acting class to prepare for pitching beam. And during that class, they asked you, how are you feeling now? Like repeatedly oh. as you were doing that. And obviously, like going through the stuff that you've been doing now with self-development and inner work, you've been looking at your emotions. But tell me how that in that moment that was powerful for you as a founder and then how it's continued to be powerful for you as a man. Oh, wow. Great question. An acting class. So I tell you, I, I, I spent I ended up spending 13 years at Accenture during mm-hmm. that time period. I had to do all kinds of business pitches. I did public speaking both internally and externally. I did, I did a lot in the professional space. When I left Accenture, I launched Beam. I brought about 15 friends together in an apartment to pitch Beam for the first time and to get feedback. And here in New York, I had a few friends that were actors and I pitched Beam and I did what I thought was okay. It wasn't great, but that's why we were here. We were all practicing. And so this actor friend of mine, she comes up to me afterwards and she's like, wow, Brian, that was really factual. (laughs) I was like, well, thank you. I think I did hit all the facts. (laughs) I didn't really feel much. I didn't, I can't say I was really convinced. Ooh, that's not good. I'm trying to pitch investors and and potential partners and everything else. Like, well, what? She's like, I don't know. I couldn't really feel you. I'm like, feel me. Like, why would you have to feel me? Like, you've got all the facts. You know what, you know what they all are. And she said, she said, you know, if you, if you don't mind, you mind me giving you a recommendation? I said, sure, give me a, give, dear actress, please give me a recommendation. <laughs> sure, tell me how to be more professional. And she said, I, I took this acting class with Josh Pace called Committed Impulse. And I think it would be good for you. And I said, you want me to take an acting class? Like, right, I'm launching a company right now. 
I need to go pitch professionals and you want me to take an acting class? Like, thank you very much, but no thanks. So then I did the same thing. I repeated the same, the same process about two weeks later. So I practiced the pitch more. I kept her thoughts in mind, but we're keeping things pretty factual. And I bombed it, bombed the pitch again. I said, you know what? Maybe I should take that acting class. So I ended up taking it and it was actors may say that it's an acting class. Mm -hmm. I don't call what I went through at committed impulse an acting class. Their theory is that acting can be more like sports. Sports are really attractive because everybody is in the moment. Mm. Yes, they practice, but they have to react in the moment to what's happening around them to be a good sports player. Right. And Committed Impulse teaches people to do the exact same thing when it comes to acting. So that, yes, you have a script, but how you react to that script and how you react to, or to the, what's the environment around us is what matters. And so the exercise I believe that you're referring to is one where we had to get up into the front of the room. There's about 25 people in the class and Josh, the teacher, he said, what are you feeling right now? I said, good. He said, good's not a feeling. I said, well, I feel fine. I feel great. Great's not a feeling. I was like, well, I, he's like, what do you like? What, what are you feeling? I said, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure what you want me to say. I feel fine. And he goes, all right, do me a favor. He goes, yeah, put your arms out. So I put my arms out and I'm feeling like an idiot at this point. Right? There's 24 <laughs> other people looking at me and he's asking me how I feel and I'm feeling fine. I don't know what else he wants me to say. So I put my arms out and he goes, I want you to yell. Do you know what really pisses me off? <laughs> what? <laughs> like, this is so inappropriate. I should not be doing this. He goes, and after you yell that, Brian, I want you to tell me something that pisses you off. I'm like, oh my God, like what, what? I don't, I don't know. Okay. So I'm putting my arms up and I go, you know what really pisses me off is when people don't do what they say they're going to do. And he's like, yeah, okay. He's like, Does that really piss you off? I'm like, yeah, it pisses me off. He goes, well, when has that happened to you before? And I told him a, a very quick story, 10 second story. I, I don't need to repeat now, but he goes, okay, try it again. He goes, think about that moment. Put your arms out. And tell me like what really pisses you off. And let me hear it. Go, okay. You know what really pisses me off when people do this? Da, 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 da. And it, bam, he accessed an emotion. He accessed in that case anger. Hmm. And he could see that I had a front. I was trying to be polite. I was trying to not allow those feelings of me to in, come, come in. Right. And so that was my very first moment where two, two things happened. One is I, I felt something in a very vulnerable position in front of other people. And I recognized that it was okay. It was okay to have these emotions. Anger for me growing up, right? Christian household, Midwest, everything is cool. Everything's good. Right. Anger wasn't cool. Jealousy wasn't cool. Sadness wasn't okay. Because all these things had negative connotations to them. And so now what I've learned through this work is that emotions are data points. Mm. Emotions help us navigate in the world of what we really want. And so if we can't feel, if we can't feel these emotions, how do we know what we want? How do we know what we don't want? How do we start to create boundaries? Boundaries to me was a foreign concept. Yeah. Now I can feel, now when I feel anger, I don't have to lash out because I feel anger. I can feel anger and say, ah, what's not right in the situation right now? Mm. And so emotions are a huge data point. I mean, it's like, it's like the compass <laughs> when you're navigating. And so to turn that off completely leads to a very boring life. Yeah, I think too, um, it gives you a spectrum. And so like, if you start to 
numb out the anger, the jealousy, and all these other emotions, you also end up numbing out, you know, happiness and joy and fulfillment because you aren't allowing yourself to feel any of it. So how can you feel both ends of the spectrum? That's it. And, and if we, if the, the analogy I like to give is a football field mm. and goal line to goal line are the experiences and the emotions that as a human, we are designed to feel designed to have. Right. What do you want to call those like bad on one side and goody on the other? Like, I don't, I don't like to call them that way. You can call high, you can call them low, but we're, 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 we are meant and we are built to experience all of these things in life. Mm-hmm. And when I numbed out, whether that was through alcohol, whether that was through suppression of emotion and pretending it just wasn't there and denial, mm-hmm. whether it was through masturbation or other tactics to numb, 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 all of a sudden that goal line to goal line becomes more like into the center of the field and life <laughs> becomes very narrow. Right now we're playing between the, what is it, the 40 yard line and the 40 yard line. And that's all we really allow ourselves to feel. Right. And I was scared. I have a coach, his name is John O'Connor. And I, when I first started working with him, I said, I'm afraid to feel because I feel like it's out of control. I feel mm-hmm. like then I have to make all these decisions. I mean, one day I'll feel this way. The next day I'll feel different. How do I make decisions? How do I navigate life like that? That's insane. And he said, take a deep breath. Took a deep breath. And he said, relax and know that it's a data point and you don't have to make a decision on it. Mm. It's something to know. Now you're making, I mean, people say, how do you make great decisions? Well, have, have the best information possible. Right. And so I was playing my entire life with half the information, my logical mm. brain and figuring it all out. And by the way, that's great. It's so, it's so key that we have that. And it's also slow. Right. And so this other half of me now, this emotional part of me is a data point and I can start to make better decisions. I had a, a quick example of that. I was maybe about a year and a half ago, I went to a talk and the talk was on digital health startups. Okay. And there was a founder up on the, up on the panel talking about his team and how, the, like how he was so incredibly proud of his chief operating officer and his technology officer and marketing officer, how they're really bringing both the product to market all together. And at that point, I didn't have any of those real roles filled in my company. It was pretty much me and a couple other people doing, doing some side work. And I had the next day, this was at night, the next day I had a whole list of things. I had to call my lawyer. I had to take care of some finances. I had to talk to an investor. I had to talk to our development company. I had all these activities to do. And when I got, when I left that, that event that night, I felt sad. Mm. I had no clue why I felt sad. I said, why, why did I feel sad? This is so strange. Whatever. (laughs) Went to bed I woke up the next day. I went through my morning routine, which is very quickly. It's, there's some bulletproof coffee in there. There's some meditation in there. And then there's journaling. Okay. And journaling sounds like it it was all, it was a foreign concept to me up to a couple of years ago. Uh, and in the journaling, I, I recognized that I felt sad. And as I was journaling, it came out like, oh, I'm sad because I don't have people to experience this with and to move this company forward mm-hmm. the way it could be moving forward. And I can't do it all on my own. So I, I took everything off of my list that day. I said, I need to start building my team. That's all that's really important to me right now. So in that case, emotion, sadness, which is something I would have denied before and said, everything's all good, helped give, bring me an insight that I wasn't really... I couldn't really see otherwise. My analytical brain would have looked at my to-do list and would have knocked all that out the day, the day after. Right. So the emotional side of us is really important. 
Right. And you were connecting back to that, uh, that realization you had before about the things that you enjoyed and, you know, the last 10 years of your life had been the relationships that you had made and connecting in with those. And now you're building a company and you don't have any of those relationships. That's exactly it. And that's the fun part of this inner work. So we can, we have a feeling, we have an emotion in this case, it was sadness for me. And then I can get to well, what's really important based on that. Where is this coming from? What's really important. And then we can start to design the life that we actually want to live into. Right. I wanted to create the company that I wanted to, to, to develop that way. Like co- it turns out that co- cooperation was really important to me. And when I was doing everything pretty much on my own, there was none of that. Right. Cool. Let's get a team that I'm really excited to work with. That's exciting. Yeah. Part of um, the work that you've had to do is setting aside your ego, your identity. I um, mean, there's a quote by Ryan Holiday that goes, ego is what keeps us from helping others thrive. Um, and I feel like that after you were able to go through this transformation, like you're helping hundreds of other people thrive in their lives, you know, sexually, uh, mentally, you know, finding themselves. So tell me about that transformation and the role of identity to you. Ah, so if you would have asked me before, if I had an ego, I'm like, nah, man, I'm totally humble. No ego. (laughs) I don't even use the word because I don't have it so much. Yeah. Ego, ego is a funny thing. There is a guy named Michael Singer. He's he's written Untethered Soul. He's written The Surrender Experiment. He's also done an eight hour course. And something he talks about in, in the course specifically is this idea of we all have this stuff inside of us that that blocks some of our energy. And when something in the external world hits one of those things, it hurts and we feel it. Hmm. Often that is related to identity is it's identified with ego. And so this happens all the time. Let's take, let's, since we're talking about dating and sex, you're at a bar. I'm not going to ask you the question because you're, you're an evolved man. So you're not going to give me the right answer, but, but most, and then I can give my, I mean, I can give you my, my very real stories that happened, right? If I went up to a woman and talked to her and just tried having a conversation with her, if she didn't turn on a dime, look at me, give me the attention that I was seeking, mm-hmm. I would all of a sudden, and, 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 and let's just say rejects me outright. I would feel angry. I may, I might say something in reaction to that. Right? All because her reaction hit my stuff, that I'm unworthy, that I'm not good enough, that all these unconscious things, programs that are in my head, and therefore I reacted poorly. And so the, what he teaches is, you know, the purpose of my life is to let go of my stuff. And my stuff isn't my physical stuff. It isn't my wants and my dreams. But my stuff is that stuff that keeps us living this life unconsciously because we either want to hang on to something and keep it or get it or avoid something altogether. And to me, when people say ego, like that's all it is. That's really all it is. Because if we knew, if we knew for sure, a hundred percent that we are enough, that we're safe, that we can go after our dreams, that nobody's going to laugh at us, that we're going to be successful. Like if we knew all of that, what the outside world has to say, doesn't really matter all that much. Right. And all the ego is trying to do is try to protect us. That's it. Mm-hmm. And we can let a lot of that go. And so my part of my, I talked about the morning routine, part of my practice is when I meditate, what I meditate on is simply that. It's just the purpose of my life is to let go of my stuff. Mm-hmm. And what's been beautiful about this, Brandon, and, and, and this is a daily practice. And sometimes I catch it, sometimes I don't catch it. 
is when something happens, boom, it hits me. Ooh, that didn't feel very good. My girlfriend sent me a text message that <laughs> said something this is recently said something about, you know, when you made that comment this morning, I was trying to be really nice to her. I, I said, Hey, Hey, have a great day. And she said something like, well, I already told you I'm not having a great day. So why would you say that? Right. Ego. <laughs> <laughs> Very upset, you know. Everything in my head was, yeah, but I'm trying to be nice. I'm trying to be understanding. Why don't you? <laughs> ah, the ego like, just took over, and then become 100% convinced of this because this is part of my practice, my daily practice of the purpose of my life is to let go of my stuff. Mm, okay, mm, that hurt. That didn't feel good when she did that. Deep breath. Just relax for a moment, and then come back to what I really know. I know that I love her. I know that she's really smart. Cool. With those two things alone, my logical brain can kick in mm -hmm. and say, ah, okay, like what's going on here for real? And I can react in a completely different way. And so whether it's the ego or our stuff that hurts us or that we're not safe, that we're not enough, that we need to perform, right, that is the inner work. Mm. Being able to, for me, the inner work is really simply being able to feel those moments that don't feel good letting go of them and making a different decision. A part of the um, work that you guys are doing with Man Amongst Men, and then even in your BMAP, there's this element of education that you want to have. And so how do, do you think um, this should be put into, you know, sort of like our traditional education? How can we start weaving some of this inner work in there? How can we start weaving in, you know, stuff we should learn about sex instead mm -hmm. of just, here's what a, a man's parts look like. Here's what a woman's parts look like. Go on and have fun. Man, you are, you're asking such a great question. And I wish I had the answer. The reality is that I wake up daily and think about this. How can we make this more efficient? How does somebody, for guys specifically, like, how do we not let them hit that rock bottom moment? I know you interviewed Dominic. And so his rock right. bottom moment was going to having to go to Sex Addicts Anonymous. My rock bottom moment was my jellyfish moment, like after being rejected at the FBI and, and going through cancer and chlamydia. And so how do we allow for people to not have to hit that rock bottom and to really start designing at a, at, even at a young age right. differently? Right? And I don't have, I, I mean, I wish again, I wish I had a great answer for you. And I, I think there are a lot of people out there that are starting to work on this. Um, there, Tom Seligman, he is a, uh, uh, a psychologist out of UPenn. And he's got one of the best programs on positive psychology. And I think this is one really great example of how they're taking a curriculum mm -hmm. and bringing it to multiple facets. They've done a ton of work with the U.S. Army. Okay. They've done a lot of work at universities and a lot of work at kindergartens across the world. Done a lot of work at companies. And the idea is, in most cases, let's, say, let's use a company as an example. We've got a problem. We all get together in a, in a status meeting. And we say, okay, great. What's the problem? Right. Positive psychology looks at like what makes an organization or a person flourish. Mm -hmm. What makes that, what makes their well-being go up? What then creates the outcomes that we want? And so what they start to ask are things like what's going well and starting to focus on that. That's, that's the 30 second version of positive psychology. So I think that is one area in which I think we're moving in the right direction. Uh, as far as, as far as sex goes and, and intimacy goes, this one for me is really simple. A lot of parents come up to me and ask, hey, Brian, like, what, I want my kids to, I don't want, this is how it's unfortunately often asked. I have a son, he's about nine years old. I want to make sure that he doesn't meet to anybody. 
I'm like, okay, great. We got a lot of work to do. <laughs> Here's the thing. Kids are very intuitive. Like they're literally, their brain waves are different than adult brain waves. Right. And they're picking up on their environment. And so if their environment is one in which the adults in their life, be it parents or otherwise, are uncomfortable with the topic of sex and intimacy, there's nothing you can teach them mm -hmm. because they're already seeing it. So the place to start is you, parent, how are you, where is your comfort level in this conversation on this topic? That's the place we have to start. And instead of teaching, I, I just saw an article on this, instead of just teaching, this is a vulva, this is a penis, here's how things work, like it's a, like it's a math program. Right. Let's start talking about communication. Mm. Let's start talking about how to identify and come, coming full circle here, Brandon, with what we've been talking about. How do we start to understand our emotions so that we can actually communicate, to know what we actually want, to be upfront with people, to stand by commitments that we make, right? All of that is the underlying stuff. You mentioned earlier in the, in the conversation, we have these external things like Beam and these tools and all this internal work that most of this conversation is, is talking about. So how do we start to do that? Maybe not in place of the, the mathematics of sex. Right. But in conjunction with, right? how do we get to a place where guys feel really confident, where they can ask for consent in a really sexy way? That's cool. So I, I think that the sex conversation has so much stigma to it and, and it is so tough. It's tough to sometimes talk about it, but all the work that we do, all this internal work, all the emotional work leads to really great and healthy sex. Yeah. Um, I really love the idea of you know, the conversation starting with the parents and because you continue to learn, like, as you get older, like you never stop learning, you never stop evolving. Um, and so being able to do that work for yourself and then be able to pass it on to your, your children, I think is really important. Um, I interviewed a startup called Ovi, um, that's tackling women's sexual health and they, use their service sort of like a life partner. So they're helping women at every stage of their life, both in products and um, services for their sexual health, but also running a blog and talking about their own sexual experiences, you know, as founders and whatnot through these different life transitions. And so I feel like that is a way that we can sort of, you know, pass that knowledge down um, both, you know, from a logical perspective, but also the emotional perspective. Like when you go through this stage, these are the things that are going to come up for you. I've been there. Let me help you out. Yeah, I love that. There's, and there's a, there's a whole group of women here because it's called the women of sex tech okay. that are here in New York. And they, everything from women's sexual health uh, to sex toys, to podcasts, to, to all, all of this. And what you're talking about is, is, is so relevant. This idea of a, of a partner mm -hmm. as you go through this in life is, is so relevant. And what I have a lot of hope for is this generation that, that's coming up that's had a, a bit of, there's enough of this. I grew up in an environment in which we couldn't talk about this stuff and I'm tired about it. We're talking about it. Right. That's it. And I've already seen younger parents that have, have started having kids that, this is a conversation they do talk about. Mm -hmm. This is a conversation that's not so strange because they know what the other thing, they, they know what the let's cover it up and not talk about it thing comes out to. So I, I, I'm glad that, that the women of sex tech are around, that Ovi's around, that these conversations are happening. As a matter of fact, when I started Beam, there were a few other companies 
that had that were starting to dabble in the sexual health space, I reached out to every single one of them. And I said, look, like technically we're competitors, but the reality is if we get the culture change that we're looking to create, this market is huge. Right. And we're not gonna have any problem getting customers, but it's the unknowns, the people that don't wanna do this that need to hear it from multiple sources before a behavior mm-hmm. change actually happens. Right. So let's go, like, let's tackle this thing together. So I'm, I'm happy that there's companies like Ovi that are out there that are making this, that are making women feel like they're not strange. Mm-hmm. That these things that are going on in their body are not weird. And again, that go, I mean, talk about the ego, like everything that feel like, Oh, I'm strange because <sighs> you think you're strange, man. There isn't anybody out there that's not strange. Right. Right. Um, I'm curious on your views as well on, uh, the sort of culture that we have now compared to like what you grew up with. So you grew up with, you know, the Christian household, long-term partners don't talk about sex. And now we have the hookup app culture with Tinder and Bumble and Grindr. Um, How do you think our relationship dynamics are going to change in the future? How do you think sex and long-term relationships, how do where do you see that going? Man, Brad, I feel like each each one of these questions could be a two hour podcast on its own. It's probably, probably why Dominic and I do do our own (laughs) podcast, right? Um, okay. So I am, I love data. Mm-hmm. Big, big fan of data. I like to run businesses by data. Uh, not to say that the emotions aren't important, but I, if you, I, I run the, the gamut from woo all the way to science and data. So, so I like to play in both of those spaces, but I really rely on a lot of data. And here's the reality. Now this is assuming, let me, let me put one caveat out there. <laughs> data always needs caveats. <laughs> This is assuming that people that were taking this survey or had these questions asked that where the data is coming from, people are telling the truth. Mm. It's assuming that. And there's reason to believe, based on the search, the, the research that they did, that they are telling the truth. But this generation that's currently in college, so this is anywhere between 18 years old to, let's say, a 25-year-old uh, undergrad, they're actually having less sex than their parents had growing up. Mm. So there is this, this thought out there, this feeling out there that we do have this hookup culture because it's possible. It's not always happening. And when asked about it, and specifically this, this question was geared towards guys, well, why don't you? Why don't you go out and you have Tinder, you have this, you have all these two new tools. Why aren't you having sex with more partners? I said, eh, it takes too much effort. I could sit here and pull up any kind of porn that I want, porn that I don't even know exists, jerk off and be done with it and move on with life. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if there's a hookup culture. Some data suggests there's not. Uh, other data suggests that maybe there is. I don't care. I don't care if a person wants to be monogamous, if they want to have multiple partners and have an open relationship, if they, are, uh, they want to have one night stands. It doesn't matter to me. What matters to me is that we understand what we're, what we're doing when we're doing it, that we're aware of what we really want that this external world isn't coming in and hitting our stuff and hitting our ego and saying, Oh, I need to go do this thing for me growing up. That ego told me I needed to be the guy in the room that could go with the woman and have sex with them because that was what, what we considered good. That's what we bragged about as right. guys. Like now I look at sex completely different. I look at it as an opportunity to connect mm. at a really deep, fascinating level. And sex now is a thousand fold better than the drunk you know, sex that, that I would have in the past. And so and it's hard to even put that into words. But I think for, for me, I think the future of it, whether it's hookup culture or not hookup culture, doesn't matter to me. It's like, why are we doing it? Do we really want to do it? Is it on our terms? Are we getting out of it? What we really want to get out of it. 
Mm. Something I noticed, Brandon, and, and a lot of this is upon reflection and looking at patterns, I noticed in my dating life, what, would, what happened to me is I would start dating someone and the first time we had sex was the best. The second time that we had sex was the second best. And the third time we had sex was the third, time, third best. And by the time we got to 100, it was pretty effing boring. I said, well, why? This is interesting. Maybe it's not the woman because it's now happened to me five, six, seven, eight times where sex actually got worse over a period of time. And it led me down the path of like, gosh, I better never get married because sex is really going to suck. <laughs> I better just find continually new partners. Otherwise, eesh, right? And then I realized maybe this is Brian's fault. Maybe this is, maybe this is something going on with Brian, not the other women, given that I'm the only common denominator in all of this. And so that's when I started to inspect like what my beliefs are with, with sex. And what I learned was, oh, when I'm having sex with a woman for the first time, I'm trying to impress them. Mm-hmm. I want repeat customers. I want people that think I'm a, <laughs> that think I'm really great in bed. I want good feedback. I want them to tell their friends that I'm good in bed. And I was performing. And mm-hmm. performing at that kind of level over a long period of time is really difficult and start to lose interest. And so I just started to look at some of the beliefs and behaviors that I had in my life that had previously gone uninspected. So I, I think um, for me, whether it's a hookup culture or, or not, I think just looking at why, why are we doing what we're doing and being aware of that. Yeah, I think that's the biggest question we can ask with any aspect of our life, um, not right. just sex. Um, well, before I get to my last question, where can everybody find you and the stuff that you're working on? Yeah, so you can you can find me at doinnerwork.com. That's the work that I do with Dominic. You can also find me on Instagram at Brian, B-R-Y-A-N, Stace, S-T-A-C-E. Uh, those are probably the two, two easiest places to get me. Awesome. Well, my very last question is how can we push the world to evolve? Gosh, I feel like we just, we just covered this in, in, in nine different ways, but it's worth, it's a hundred percent worth repeating it. I, I think, how do we push the world to evolve? We push the world to evolve in, in just in, in being like, be the change, right? <laughs> I, I won't leave you with be the change, but it's start to inspect everything that you believe and know to be true. Because for me, when I got really curious, I got really open and I started to learn a lot more. And so if we want to evolve, we really have to understand and be open to these other perspectives. When I started going to women-run events, whether those were panels or podcasts or, or parties, whatever it may have been, I started to see a whole different perspective. I started to see how beautiful it can be when women feel really safe. And I thought, man, as guys, we have a great opportunity to create more environments like this. From just my guy perspective, I never would have known that. Never would have even thought about it. When I started to see the woman's perspective on like what safety means to them and what they are able to do and how they're able to flourish in environments in which they feel safe, I said, wow, if we can do this, if this is, our pri- if this is one of our primary objectives as guys, we can do this, this world is going to be an amazing place. Mm. So I think to evolve, it's just let's, let's ask those questions, figure out where our beliefs and behaviors are coming from. And look for, and then with that curiosity, go find some new perspectives. Yeah, I think that's a great answer. That's part of what this show is about: is bringing these new perspectives on. And if you guys are ready to start questioning some of your own beliefs, some of your own perspectives, hear new ones. I would definitely recommend checking out their Man Amex Men podcast. Going to um, doinnerwork.com, check out what Dominic and Brian are doing together because I think they're doing some amazing things. 
So thank you so much, Brian, for coming on the show today. Brian, thanks for the great questions, man. You maybe maybe go deep today. Hey, you. Yes, you. I want to thank you so much for listening. If this content is delivering value to you, then please open up your podcast app, rate and review. That's really going to help get this life-changing content out to more entrepreneurs just like you who are pushing the world forward. As always, my friend, keep evolving.